1: Welcome to another episode of the Wickedly Smart Women podcast, where we celebrate Wickedly Smart Women and provide our listeners with a wealth of wisdom, along with immediately actionable steps to be smarter, spunkier, and more successful in their impact and their leadership. This is your host, Angel B. Hartwell, and today we welcome our very special guest, Lisa D. Foster. Born into a Jewish family that was the Holocaust directly impacted, Lisa was an introverted youth disinterested in school and lacked direction and purpose. Equipped with the love of reading, she threw off others' low expectations to become an English teacher who gave it all up to start an $8 million a year company in less than four years by becoming a bag lady." In 2005, she founded One Bag at a Time, Inc., a first to market reusable grocery bag company. She left her job to become a purpose driven eco entrepreneur and pioneer in the fight against single use. Plastic. She sold the company in 2017 and now, as a business coach, shares her expertise in leadership, emotional intelligence with her clients, and inspires others to make a difference in their communities and organizations. Welcome to the show, Lisa.
2: Thank you so much, Angel. I'm so pleased to be here. Well,
1: there's so many different directions that we could go here with this story and with your interview. I am wanting to start you know i feel like we need to be sensitive to the times that we're in your family was directly impacted by the holocaust so if you could maybe share a little bit of your background and how that maybe inspired you to become a solver it seems to me that you're a solver of of issues social issues community issues, leadership issues. What was it about coming from that background that you'd like our listeners to know about?
2: Yeah. So my mom, who is no longer with us, she was born in Poland, in Warsaw, just before the war. Her father went to the war, actually has a hero's grave. He was killed in the first onslaught of the Nazis. I think it was a three-day battle, (laughs) That it was very quick. But when I went to Poland, I did find his grave. It was really one of the most moving things in my life to find my grandfather's grave there, because so few people from that time have any grave at all. Her mother was in the Warsaw ghetto, and she knew she couldn't survive. She gave up her child to a Catholic family to raise her. She hoped to get out, but she didn't. She was killed in the Warsaw uprising. And my mom survived the war with this other family. She thought she was Catholic they call them hidden children. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the war, they found her mother's brother living in the United States. The family gave up everything to bring this miracle child who they thought everybody was gone from, from Poland. But this child who survived was brought back and she came to the United States into the arms of a loving family and was really embraced by them. And It's just a story of survival. Mm. You know, what's happening there is happening in, what happened in, in Warsaw is happening in many towns in Ukraine, leveled flat, mercilessly bombed, no regard to civilian life. And it is, she really was a miracle child and a survivor. And I think those lessons were always part of, you know, our growing up, You always survive. You just keep going. Mm -hmm. And if you read my book, there's so many times when I could have just quit. And throughout my whole life, it's just one of the secrets, I think, to my success and where I've gotten in my life. I never quit. Mm -hmm. I just keep going and I find obstacles. And yes, I solve them. I go around them. I go over them, under them, through them, whatever I need to do. To keep going, and I find that way to keep going. So her survivor mentality, just the persistence that that takes, has always been an inspiration to me.
1: Mm, beautiful. Well, it's interesting that you know, as an introverted youth, and you weren't interested in school, and you lacked direction and purpose. What was it, maybe in in addition to your love of reading, that? flip the switch for you to become more focused and more directed and more purposeful and more, yeah, persistent in being a solver.
2: You know, at some point in my later in 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 high school, late in high school, maybe junior year, or senior year, I began to believe in myself. I never really made good grades. I didn't care about grades. I I didn't, I was smart, but I just didn't try very hard. But I kind of knew if I tried hard, I could do well. And I tested that out a couple of times and I did pretty well when I tried. And luckily I got into Berkeley. I tried really hard on the SAT and it actually worked. And I began to believe in myself because I knew no one was going to push me no one was going to encourage me no one was even going to expect anything if i did nothing that was what people expected me to do was nothing and i just thought mm, i could expect it of myself hmm. and so believing in myself expecting me to be more than what i could do and as soon as i got into berkeley i was i remember the first day we had the convocation and the dean said welcome to berkeley we have over enrolled your class we have promised people in who are in santa cruz and other places a place in this graduating class so by junior year we are going to flunk half of you out look to your left and your right one of those two people will be gone by junior year and i just said it won't be me <laughs> <laughs> and i i just i pushed myself Mm -hmm. nobody, it wasn't external. It was really internal. And finding that belief in myself has again, been another, you know, inner strength to keep going and to do things and to try things. It's just been that thing that changed me from being introverted, a thinker, but not a doer into, okay, I can take all that thinking and do something with it now.
1: Mm, Beautiful. So the first thing you did was become an English teacher. Yes. Right. So what inspired you
2: to do that? After college, I met my husband. He brought me to LA. He's a movie producer. And I think in high school, I would have been voted least likely to marry a movie producer. (laughs) (laughs) But I found myself in LA, a little bit of a fish out of water. I knew that Hollywood was for really tough people. It would chew me up and spit me out. And I said, well, I can't do Hollywood. So I went back to school and I was like, well, I have an English major. I can get a graduate degree, and indeed, I got my PhD. And I didn't go get a, a job at a at a small college somewhere because I already had a kid, two kids, a husband who was here. So I started teaching high school English, and I loved it. Worked at an elite high school. It was almost like teaching college. Really smart kids and i loved teaching i loved talking about books and inspiring you know people to love books and you know take on the challenge of that and try to understand hamlet or you know macbeth and these things that may not seem relevant and working to inspire them so those were really good skills later on in my life trying to get people inspired about reusable bags i used a lot of the same tools that i developed as a teacher but i love teaching yeah
1: Mm, beautiful well let's talk about the bag idea like where did that come from (laughs) right where did it cut like out of the blue or did you know did you see a problem and it suddenly became clear to you that you had the solution Let's talk about the the plastic
2: bag thing here, how that happened. Well, so when my kids were in high school, my husband had a movie in Australia and he said, let's all, let's pull the kids out of school. Let's all move to Australia for six months and just have an adventure. And so we did, my school was not very happy about it. And they said, if there's a job, when you come back, you can apply. And so I sort of thought I was fired. And in a way that freed me, right? Mm. I wasn't like thinking, okay, I'll go back and teach. I was thinking, I'll go back. I don't have a job. So I was really free. And I just thought, all right, if I'm going to be in Australia, I'm going to be the best stay at home mom in Australia possible. Right. I'm just, I'm going to crush it like hot breakfast. And I didn't know PTA. I didn't know what a stay at home mom did because I'd never done it. Hmm. But I was like, I'm going to do it. So I was really determined to fit in. And the first day I go to the grocery store and I bring my kids, because trying to figure out what we're gonna eat here. And we get to the cashier and the cashier looks at me and says, would you like a bag? And I was really jet lagged and I was almost sharp with her. You know, I was like, <laughs> what do you mean do Like I've got all this stuff, I'm trying to fill up the house. But I remembered my intention to be the best stay-at-home mom in Australia. And I was like, what does she expect me to say? Like, that was just such a strange question. I was expecting her to say paper or plastic. And I, and the woman in front of me had all of her bags, you know, all of her groceries in these green bags. And the woman behind me had an armful of those bags. And it suddenly occurred to me, what I'm supposed to say, what I was expected to say is, no thanks, I have my own but I didn't. And there was a stack of them right there for 99 cents, right at the checkout where I needed them. And I grabbed a few of them and I said, I'll just take these. And I didn't know why I had them. I just knew I was supposed to, and I really just wanted, it was really the social pressure that started me on this. And I used them and I didn't know where to put them in the house. I left them by the front door and my kids came home that day. And one of them looked at it and said, "Oh, can I use that for my gym stuff?" And I'm like, "Okay." And the other one's like, "Me too." I'm like, "Okay." So I buy a couple more the next day. And my husband looked at. He goes, "Oh, can I take one of those for my scripts?" And I'm like, "Sure. What? You know, ninety nine cents. I don't care." And what we found over the next six months is that they were just became part of our lives. I could fill up my fridge without filling up my trash. Mm. I made so much less trash. There was the kitchen trash can in Australia was tiny it was like it was like a bathroom trash can here <laughs> and i was like i'm going to have to take this out three times a day but i didn't and i started to connect the dots between less plastic less packaging i didn't throw away all that pa- i bought anything i wanted the food i wanted we ate really well but there was less packaging mm. And I started to connect those dots and I asked my friends, they said, the government's doing a push. And I read the Australian report, which was really eye-opening. So I discovered that you know the numbers were astounding. I'll translate it to US terms. At that time, the US was using a billion plastic bags a day, 360 billion plastic bags a year. The numbers were astounding, about a third of them are not collected into our trash stream. So they escape into our environment. They waft over our streets. They're in the gutters. We've seen them. Mm. Eventually, all that plastic gets washed into the ocean where we all seen, you know, they're wreaking havoc with the turtles and the dolphins and all of our marine life. Mm. And actually, it's very toxic to them. So that toxicity is now coming back to us when we, it's in our food chain. Mm. So I started to see what was happening with that. And then in the report, I realized I was reading about paper bags because, you know, I was an environmentalist, so I always had paper bags. And I was a little smug reading about the plastic bags because I knew they were bad. But then I read that a paper bag actually emits more, three times the emissions, the global warming emissions to make a paper bag than a plastic bag. I just started to think about all the paper bags I had recycled. And then there's more greenhouse emissions recycling them and wow. trucking them around from your house back to the thing, to the store, to the this, to the that. And I started to realize, oh, it's really not better. It has other costs. And I was really angry. It was the paper bag. Emissions <laughs> that really got me in my heart. And I got really mad for like three days. You know, I was like slamming doors and drawers in my kitchen, and my kids were like, don't go in there. Well, <laughs> almost, you feel, felt
1: like you were betrayed, right? You felt like you were betrayed. Listen, we've got to yeah. take a quick break. But when we come okay. back, we'll talk a little bit more. And I really want to move us also into what you're doing now and this whole transition from the bag company to what you're doing now as well. But right now, we do need to take a break. Before we take the break, I want our listeners to hear a few of the things that happened for Lisa. She began to believe in herself. She has inherited persistence from her mom. She went on an adventure with her husband, like pulled herself out, liberated her and her kids, went on an adventure. She set intention to be the best stay-at-home mom in Australia, and then she got mad. And when she got mad... She took action and started this amazing reusable grocery bag company. Right now, though, Wickedly Smart Women, we are going to take a quick break. We could use your help. If you're enjoying the show and want us to stay on the air, please consider making a donation at www.wickedlysmartwomen.com. We'd also like to ask you to share with your lovely lady friends who you think might benefit from our content. Help a gal out and let your sisters, mothers, daughters, friends, and colleagues know about the show so we can serve them too. I want to say a huge thank you to all of our listeners who are downloading rating and reviewing we now are downloading in 106 countries including australia so we want to welcome all of our listeners and the thousands and thousands of downloads from all over the world we're shouting out to our listeners we'll shout out to our listeners in la as well as australia as well as poland and we will be right back
0: with lisa foster
1: And we are back with Lisa Foster. You can actually find out more about Lisa at lisadfostercoach.com. We will have that for you in the show notes. So before we went to the break, we were talking about how Lisa initiated in 2005 her company one bag at a time because she got mad. She got mad about the plastic use, she got mad about the paper bag use. She saw a different way and you know, became a founder. And ultimately, in 2017, you know, she started this 8 million dollar a year company and in 2017 sold it. So Lisa, I want to move us to the moment that it's really astonishing that you founded an 8 million dollar a year company and You also made the decision to sell it. So can you talk a little bit about what moved you to sell the company? Did you feel like you had fulfilled that mission and you were getting a new one or help us to understand kind of what was going on for you that you would just walk away from, you know, or not walk away, but sell an $8 million a year company. What happened to make that happen for you?
2: Yeah. You know, I did feel like I had accomplished my mission. I started the company and the mission really was save the world one bag at a time. I named the company one bag at a time. And when I started the company, it was the bag use among American consumers was 3%. So only 3% of people were bringing their own bags back to the store. And I just wanted to inspire women. There is another way. There's a 99 cent solution to all these emissions and all of this plastic and all of this waste, like zero waste for two or three years with one of these bags. So by the time I sold in 2017, that number was 60% of American women and, and men, American consumers were using reusable bags At the grocery store, most of the time when they shop locally, some of those numbers are far higher. There, there are areas, you know, in California, and I think South Carolina and some other places, New York, where there's the numbers are eighty percent, ninety percent. It really has become that norm. And you know, if you go to the grocery store often, you will see hear somebody say, "Would you like a bag?" That never happened before. Right. So I felt like I had done that. I did during my business. I tried to start a branded bag company because I felt like I had done something and I thought, all right, what else can we do? It didn't work at all. And I just, I thought to myself, I didn't want to be a purveyor of grocery bags all my life. That was not sort of my life (laughs) dream to be a, a seller of grocery bags. So I hunkered down. I established a really good company and sold it. And I I feel like I sold it at my peak. I didn't want, you know, every commodity has that curve, right? As business people, we know there's a curve, right? And, and with commodities, it's kind of a long, slow slog at the end. Mm -hmm. And I got to that point where I was doing well in that slog. I was well positioned. I had great, very loyal customers, but I didn't want to slog it out for years and years. Mm -hmm. So I was ready to sell and move on.
1: Yeah, beautiful. Well, you know, selling a company is a huge accomplishment in and of itself, right? One of the things I did with my first, I actually sold my first podcast and so it's a it's an interesting transition to be able to be the innovator, the creator, the grower, and then the seller of something. So what made you decide to go into coaching? Like what was what was the inspiration there? And who are you working with? Who are the people that you work with now? Do you help other people sell their companies or like give us a little bit of an insight into where you are today.
2: Okay. When I was selling, one of my friends put the bug in my ear. He said, do you know what you're going to do after you sell your company? And it is so overwhelming to just sell it. I said, no. I said, I can't even think about that. I just have to get it sold. And he said, you're going to be a coach and you're going to be really good at it because you listen to people and you pay attention to people. And I thought about it after I sold and I said, you know, actually he's right. And I looked at coaching. And I began to really think about, you know, what I had done, you know, with the bags. It wasn't really about, it was about bags, but it wasn't. It was about inspiring people to be better, to take action, to make a better world. And coaching just felt like that was right up my alley of inspiring people to take action, to be better. When I looked back on my success, look, nine out of 10 startups fail. Mm numbers are worse for people like me who have i had no business experience i had no business education so like what helped me beat the odds really was my ability to tune into people i really i have very good friends with my supplier in china who was a key partner in my business success for 12 years I still talk to her. We exchange gifts at Christmas every year. She is, I count her as one of my best friends. Mm. And and I always met her needs. She says, you're very unusual in China. People just usually come and try to just see what they can get, you know, squeezing, you know, blood from a turnip. And I'm like, no, you need to make money and I need to make money. Like, let's find that win-win mm. mutual benefit. And And I did that with my clients. I'm like, what do you need? And I was always asking people, what do you need to be successful? And that kind of leadership, when the leader is there to remove obstacles, to listen to the people's problems, they have problems, they're doing their job. My job is to get them what they need to be to be successful. So I do work with leaders to become better leaders. There's a lot of people who come in and think leadership is about telling people what to do. And telling them if they're good or bad at it. This is not good leadership, right? It leads to demotivated. We've got, we still have 4 million people a year, even though we have layoffs. We have record numbers of people leaving their job. Mm-hmm. And mostly they're leaving from about half the firms. We've got about 50% of people in America are planning to leave their job, but 50% aren't. And the difference really is the manager. The manager is either listening to them, supporting them, giving them what they need to be successful and lifting up the whole organization or battering people down, telling them what to do, telling them they're not good enough, telling them they have to do more. And people are burning out and they're not taking that anymore. Yeah. It's just I agree. Leading organizations into crisis.
1: Yeah. So, well, and, yeah. and I think that we're also, we're part of a a wave, just like you brought this wave of change in the grocery store. Like literally you created a wave of change in the grocery store across the country over yeah. a dozen years, right? So what's fascinating about who you are is not only are you a solver and an innovator, but you're an enroller. You're somebody who can enroll in people into an innovation that that can enroll people who don't see that there's a problem into actually seeing the problem and solving the problem. And what I'm hearing here is part of your work now is really helping to make a, a sea change in leadership because uh the old authoritarian leadership style is is detrimental across the board to everyone to everyone involved the company the bottom line the profits it's almost like you squeeze all the blood out of the turnip and then what do you have left right right
2: Right. because it's dried up shriveled thing right it's not it's not where people want to and then we know there are companies that continue even in this economy even with you know the challenges and the uncertainty and inflation whatever interest rates that are killing it that continue to increase every single quarter and those are the companies that i think honor their people they give people meaningful work they they lift them up they support them and everybody in those organizations is pulling together to do something great mm. and I think that when, when that happens, companies become unstoppable.
1: Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Well, we are going to have to go, but before we go, I want to make sure that our listeners hear a few of the last little pieces that came through. A leader listens a leader honors their people a leader provides meaningful work for their people a leader removes problems and resources their people and lifts up the organization and that's what lisa is standing for and that's who she's helping is leaders as a business coach now to be able to do and you know be part of this sea change if she could get the plastic bag thing to, <laughs> the recyclable <laughs> bag thing to to get into what 60% acceptance, I am sure she's going to do a beautiful thing with leadership across the country as well. So please go to her website, lisadfostercoach.com. She did mention a book. So I'm sure you're going to find out about the book there. And Certainly feel free to acquire a copy of that book if you are a leader who is, oh, Bag Lady. Yeah, that's the name of the book. Of course, Bag Lady. Of course, that's the name of the book. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) please, please get a copy of Bag Lady and learn, get inspired, take action, tune in to your own leadership and tune in to see if Lisa might be the right coach for you moving forward from here. All right, listeners, we love feedback. Please let us know what you thought of today's show by calling into our listener line. We will have the number for you in the show notes or send in questions or guest suggestions to listeners at wickedlysmartwomen.com. We might even give you a shout out on the show. Thanks for tuning in. Keep your ears open. And remember, you are a wonderful woman.
0: Thanks for tuning in, downloading and listening. at wickedlysmartwomen.com.